Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith in Denver. My main man, John Schumann's in Toronto. We are on the road. NBA Conference semifinals on each side of the conference divide, if you will, Shoe. Top four on both sides made it through. We're kind of getting these dream matchups that we wanted. Both of the series we're taking in are uh, playing tonight. Game two of Sixers Raptors should be interesting. The, the opener of Blazers Nuggets here in Denver should be really interesting. They just survived that seven-gamer against San Antonio with a little help from the Pepsi Center crowd and a small bit of brain freeze at the end there. But before we get into our series shoe, let's talk about Sunday's action, starting with the Golden State Warriors. Very interesting game in terms of the way it went down to the wire. KD with 35 points since he reminded us all that he's Kevin Durant. It's been an absolute reign of terror. I mean, he's been destroying people. But the Rockets had issues late with the referees and certainly pleaded their case afterwards. Your thoughts on the complaint shoe and whether or not you think they're legitimate or not? Uh, it's tough. All these different shots are all individual things that you'd have to you know, sort of break down, I don't know, frame by frame. I always had a question like, all right, if a shooter shoots for a three-point shot and they call a foul on a defender who sort mm-hmm. of fouls him on the landing part of it inside the three-point line. I always, I, I always had that question. Well, he shot a three, and the foul was inside the three. Like, why is that a foul on the defender if, it's, if, if both guys are moving into a space that was unoccupied at the time of the shooter taking off? And then so I, I, I took that question to a high-level NBA officiating person, and mm-hmm. their answer was it's about verticality. So just as verticality is the issue – inside on a drive and if mm-hmm. a defender jump le- uh, leaves his feet to defend a shot at the rim if he stays vertical it's not a foul so basically it's the same thing on the perimeter if the defender has to basically stay vertical in the same space that he left from and it's on him that the, the offensive player does not have to do that the defender does and so i think in a lot of these cases there were you know i don't think in any of these cases really that the defender stayed vertical or you know stayed in in his same space that he occupied when he left the floor so I think uh there's some legit beef with these with some of these calls I'm not going to break down like uh, which ones were fouls and which ones weren't Mm -hmm. but yeah I think the Rockets have an issue and I think the league has an issue as far as how this stuff is going to be defended because we possibly got six more games of this series yeah well let me depart with you on one part of this anytime you take a shot and your landing includes you landing on your behind (laughs) with your feet like you're sitting in a recliner kicking out i got no i got no sympathy for you i mean you're clearly trying to exaggerate contact that may or may not have happened now if you get hit on the arm or there's you know you the defender's body is in your space as you come down. I don't care where your feet land, just as you come down. I can see a call being made. But some of the stuff that the Rockets were trying to pull, I thought was, 
I'm, I'm not going to call it Bush League. I'm just going to say I thought it was dramatics at its best. And if you've waited all this time to get your hands on the Warriors again and try and fix what you didn't do right last time, this, the, the whining about the it, them invading your space, that is like the weakest thing I've ever heard. Like go out there and play and outplay them. Like don't go out there and outwine them because the Warriors can whine is just with the best of them. <laughs> you know, it's not like – there aren't other teams that cry about calls, but we're going to make it about the officials now. You get, like That's what your rallying cry is going to be. I just think it's weak. And I think the Rockets are better than that. I think they've shown themselves to be a better team than, than belly aching about these calls and getting caught up in a, in a back and forth with the officials. You know, it's, I'm going to borrow theory of Damian Lillard. Like, only talk to your team. Only worry about what, you, you know, what your team does. Don't go out there trying to put this on anybody else. And this, to me, looked like some excuse-making by the Rockets. And I, and I read the stuff about their deep research on, on the Warriors getting away with, you know, being able to do this. And I was like, that, that's a whole lot of spin as far as I'm concerned by a lot of people, A, who are tired of seeing the Warriors roll, and I get it. There's fatigue when a team wins the way they've won the past few years. But it's also a calculated thing where the Rockets are courting the media to kind of beat the drum for their case. And I just think it's weak. I think you, I think they should be better than that. Yeah, I mean, we can move on and um, and talk about other things in that game. You know, I think the Warriors defended Houston well. In regard to taking away Capella, he got barely had any clean rolls to the basket, only had two field goal attempts. I thought he could have been stronger in traffic when he caught the ball with somebody around him, but they did a nice job defending him. They also kept Chris Paul from getting to his sort of mid-range sweet spot. Like he, you know, he didn't really get any looks at the, you know, clean jumpers at the elbows at the foul line like he likes. You know, Harden had a sort of a heavy usage game, and obviously they tried to attack him on the other end of the floor as well. So credit the Warriors for getting that win, you know, less than 48 hours after finishing off the Clippers in L.A. and the Rockets already being in in uh, in the Bay Area while that game was still going on. So that's, a, I mean, it's, it's an important win for Golden State just to, you know, avoid the uh, – the sort of game one letdown after uh, after sure. uh, taking care of business against L.A. Look, it doesn't matter how many they play. I would expect them all to be close games, tightly contested games. These are they weren't last year. The Warriors won won a couple of blowouts last year. If I uh... I know, but I would expect these to be a little tighter, and that's fine. I mean, I, I'm all for tight competition, especially given what we saw in the other game yesterday, which was the Celtics curb stomping the Bucks in game one of that series. Boston hasn't lost yet. <laughs> they would appear to have flipped that switch that we were talking about all year that they didn't seem to be able to do during the regular season. They look great. They look like the team that I thought they would be, you know, in the preseason and the team that we all think has a chance to, to get through the East and win it. Now, granted, there's a lot more series to be played against the Bucks. And Toronto looks really strong on the other side. But it, does Boston, have they rekindled that, that idea in your head that they could be the team to beat in the East? Sure. I mean, uh, we've been saying it for the last few weeks. I think, you know, with that team, with one opponent in front of them, they can game plan and they can execute a game plan. And, and that, if you watch, I mean, I just went back and watched all of uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo's 
field goal attempts in that game. And they just took away his runway, you know, like they just, you know, he got into the paint, but when he got there, um, there were bodies in front of him. Um, They kept him from being able to sort of elevate. And, you know, if there's a big difference between him shooting right at the rim and him shooting just two feet or three feet away from the rim, you know, like with a body in front of him. I thought they got away maybe with some, you know, arms in the chest on those plays, maybe once or twice. But I thought for the most part, Horford and Baines were, were, were terrific in just protecting the basket and keeping him from getting all the way there. And like I said, just taking away his runway, not allowing him to use his big strides and elevate once he got into the paint. They outscored the Bucks thirty-eight to twenty-six in the paint. I've said this before that um, in the previous seventy-six games that Antetokounmpo played this season, the Bucks had been outscored in the paint only seven times. So to outscore them in the paint thirty-eight to twenty-six is, even though thirty-eight isn't a lot, you know, we've talked about, you know, Boston is not a, a paint attacking team. They're not a team that gets to the free throw line. Um, I think they they had eight free throw attempts on Sunday. But, you know, to limit the Bucks points in the paint is is huge. You know, I thought they were going to have to, you know, make jumpers, and they did. They shot well. But, you know, to, to limit Milwaukee in the paint is, is absolutely huge. And then on the other end, I thought Kyrie was really good in, in pick and roll and just making the right decision, making good passes. It's a lot of, a lot of it is pick and pop because of the way the Bucks defend. And, the you know, the Celtics made them pay. Al Horford shot well from the outside. and, and Al, was, Al was fantastic. Yeah. He's like – Fantastic on both ends. He's so good and so smart, Shu. Still got it. <laughs> there was a great breakdown during the broadcast about just how he uses his arms and elbows to, you know, knock you off your spot defensively. And I thought he did a brilliant job on Giannis. You know, you could argue that it was maybe a little more contact than you would like if you're the Bucks, But it's he's, he does it in such a subtle way. I don't know that you could could call it without an overhead camera to show you exactly what he's getting away with. It's just crafty veteran defense, you know. There was only one drive where I thought, oh, they got away with like an elbow to the chest as he was sort of driving into the paint. But otherwise, right. I thought, I mean, the, the two blocks he had on Otsik, they were, I mean, incredible. Like, I, like yeah. it's like, whoa, where did that come from? So, yeah, he's, I mean, I said it, said it lot, lot, lots, of, lots of times. He's the Celtics' yeah. most important player. Yes. I'm looking at it and wondering, did the Bucks? you know, it's not like they underestimate They know how good the Celtics are. They know how much time both teams had to prepare. But the Bucks didn't look sharp to me in terms of just assignments. Like, they looked like they were lost half the time, which is very strange for teams that know each other as well as they do, that, that had – you know, certainly had to have been eyeballing the matchup for a while. What did you do in preparation for the Bucks to look that out of sorts? Or was it just not reacting well to how how efficient, how sharp, and how on point the Celtics were? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it might be just that it's one game, and let's mm-hmm. see what how our how, how our vanilla game plan works in game one, and then we make the adjustments from there. You know, I think on the pick and pops, are they going to have to bring help from one of the weak side defenders? And then, you know, and then now they're in rotation and see if the Celtics can move the ball. As far as Antetokounmpo attacking the paint, um, do you do these things? Like like the Sixers, we've seen them do it with Simmons where the guy attacks and then you set sort of a late screen underneath the foul line on, on his man to sort of help free those last couple of steps. There's little things you can do. They just, I think that, 
frankly, they just have to play better. Yeah. They're too good to, to lose by 22 at home, no matter who the opponent is. That's always the question after game after a loss in the playoffs is how much of what we need to do is just making is changing what we're doing or or is it just do what we do better? Yeah, there was a clear scattering to me by the Bucks too when they got down. They were just trying to catch up with three, you know, with wild threes and risky shots. They got to be a little more sound with the basketball, obviously. And then they got to figure out some ways to get Giannis some freedom. That's on Mike Budenholzer, you know, to devise some different ways to clear out space for Giannis. I mean, look, you're not going to be able to go one-on-one against Giannis. I thought Boston did a really good job of bringing a second defender and kind of taking away his options to spin and, you know, shake – his defender, as he's driving, he didn't get a chance to do a whole lot of that because there was always somebody else there to help. So it's going to be interesting. They, they, they got some serious adjustments to make in advance of uh, Game 2 Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern on TNT. The best text I got all weekend, shoot was from you about Kawhi Leonard. And it was a reminder text about all of us needing to be reminded of just how good Kawhi is and how different that space he occupies compared to some of the other players in this series who think they're on his level. Um, <laughs> but this is a finals MVP, a champion playing at a level that only a handful of guys in the league right now can elevate to on this stage. I, th- I thought it was just a very clear reminder of just how good Kawhi is. Yeah. I mean, I thought of it in context of free agency because the Sixers have a couple free agents on there. Sure. And I thought, you know what, this summer in free agency, there's Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, and then there's everybody else. Like, they're just on a different level. I had seen – I mean, I've seen Kawhi, I think, twice live during the regular season, Mm -hmm. maybe in Brooklyn and in Philadelphia, actually. But this was just something – I don't know how many times I was like, holy cow, you know, just watching. I mean, he was a a machine. I mean, he he was making – like, his pull-up – jumper is just so um, perfect like it's um yeah. you come back to it's like oh it was built out of a lab and it kind of was but like i was talking to dave mcmenamin about it um and he just says like economy of movement was the way he described it is just watching mm-hmm. his pull-up jumper and it's just the same thing every time there's no very like it's there's no variation in it like you don't you, a guy shouldn't be able to shoot that well from mid-range pull-up threes you know, and maybe maybe that was just, uh, you know, one of the best games of his life. Um, right. And, you know, there's going to be a, a drop-off from there. But Philadelphia had no answer. Um, they started with Jimmy Butler on him. He destroyed Jimmy Butler. Tobias Harris had a couple shots. He he did not do well. James Ennis, no. Even Ben Simmons, you know, having Ben Simmons guard Kawhi Leonard seems to be the, you know, solution du jour right now. But mm. there was one transition possession where – Leonard was coming down the middle of the paint with the ball and he and Simmons just collided two or three feet away from the basket. Simmons went careening under the, <laughs> you know, into the baseline and, and Leonard just sort of took a one more slow step and into a short little runner. And I was like, wow, like he just ran into one of the biggest dudes in the league and, and came out on top. And there was a similar play that that was late first half. And there was a similar play like that in the, uh, in the second half as well. So I don't know if if that's the solution. And if it is, okay, then now who's guarding Pascal Siakam? Because Siakam will destroy Tobias Harris too. So Toronto is really bleeping good. Um, You know, we've been (laughs) talking about their offense just now, but like they've now held uh, their opponent under a point per per possession in five straight games, which is terrific defense. And like 
you know, there was an issue with Toronto's depth and how they might match up with the Sixers starting lineup when it starts the second quarter. And it didn't matter because the, the Toronto starters were on the floor longer in the first quarter and they sort of went off. I mean, they scored on, I think it was 15 straight possessions at one point um, in the first quarter. It was, it was just phenomenal to see. It was, um, you know, just talking about it doesn't do it justice. Just watching that first quarter, the Leonard and Siakam show was uh, yeah. incredible. They're ridiculously good, Toronto is. And I, and I feel bad because we've almost kind of over, overlooked them for much of this season. Kawhi with the load management kind of took some starch out of any campaign to trump him up for, for MVP or anything like that. But I, I like the steadiness of, of Toronto's approach as well. They seem much more – confidence not the word I'm looking for. Um, they seem much more at ease with who they are with Kawhi as, as kind of the guy who will, will be there to deliver them when they need it. I didn't think they played like a team that had that security – previously so oh sure like he's definitely a a steadying force for a franchise that has had many moments of playoff angst in the last uh several years exactly Um, and you know hey they won a game one and they won a game one comfortably um that's you know that's a (laughs) it's you know it's a game one at home (laughs) but you know what it's it's an accomplishment for this particular franchise yeah, and, I, and again, I, I was joking with somebody yesterday about if we end up with six, seven-game series in each and every one of these, it, it won't bother me. And I heard some people belly aching about, oh, they're not making shots and, you know, these, these games aren't good. They're not supposed to be free-for-alls. These are the best teams left. You know, this you're playing the, the high-level opponent that remains only to get to another one. And then if you get lucky enough to get through that, that last series will be, you know, against the highest level opponent you could have gotten from the other side. So I expect the games to be very difficult for whoever struggles, whether it's one team or both. It should be a very difficult thing to get through, which brings me to our last series that we're going to discuss. Nuggets Blazers tips off tonight here in Denver to Pepsi Center, 1030 Eastern on TNT. The Nuggets have just been through a seven-game grinder with the Spurs and had to survive that at the very end. Jamal Murray with some huge shots, big-time defensive play by Torrey Craig and just a, a monster effort from the Joker. And what's your prize, Chew, for going through all that? Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, and a Blazers team that's rested, focused, with a chip on his shoulder and eager to, you know, to, to come in here and catch you napping in game one on short rest and and turn this series upside down. Do you think it's valuable, maybe more valuable, what the Nuggets went through against the Spurs as opposed to the rest they could have gotten had that series ended sooner? Just having that experience, maybe having a heightened awareness going into game one, knowing what's at stake? Um, That's a good question. I think time will tell. Um, I did a study. I remember doing some research on the – success of teams that played a game one 48 hours after playing the last game of their previous series versus a team that was rested. And I think there was a little bit of uh, success, more success for the visiting team in that case, but I think it's still a, a home court advantage situation. And so Denver having home court advantage is, is good. I think, yes, I think there's definitely, um, 
they should feel pretty good about themselves getting through that series and, and having that experience. But this is just a totally different opponent, and, and matchups are, are key. Um, you know, for this series, I think it just starts with how Portland de- defends uh, Jokic and how Denver defends Lillard. And on that front, um, they did really well in the regular season. So this is like the second straight series where Portland is going in knowing that they did not play very well against this team in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Denver won the season series 3-1, to one, and the one loss was that game at the in April where they rested Jokic, Millsap, and Murray and sort of to try to sort of game the system and get the yeah. uh, playoff seating that they wanted. And they, you know, they took Lillard out of the games really in the, in, uh, in the regular season, uh, his usage rate, uh, against Denver was his lowest usage rate against any Western conference opponent this season. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they have that sort of more aggressive defense, pick and roll defense that sort of gets the ball out of the ball handlers hands more often than not. But I think, you know, Oklahoma City is the same way, and he obviously had a huge series against them. Right. It, against Denver in the regular season, he was like three for 19 on pull-up threes. Um, you know, if that number changes around, then those were – I think they were mostly close games too, high-scoring games. So even though they sort of took uh, Lillard out, all these games were really high-scoring in the regular season. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm excited for this series. I'm a little upset that it, it's opposite or, at the same, you know, <laughs> I'll be – talking to Sixers and Raptors players and coaches after the game and writing a story yeah. while this game one is going on, but I'll be taping it and I can watch it when I get home tomorrow. So I, I, I'm excited for like, it's an opportunity for one of these teams to sort of get further than, you know, many of us expected them to get, you know, while the two heavyweights battle it out on the other side of the West bracket, one of these teams is getting a trip to the conference finals. Um, and that's great. You know, given the Nurkic injury, and given you know Denver's inexperience, it's a you know it'll it's be a for one of them, yeah. yeah for one of these teams to get get to the conference finals. Yeah, I'm, I, and I hate that Nurkic is not gonna you know be in this series. I mean, you hate that he misses the time anyway. But against his former team and against his you know former big man in Jokic, who he used to battle with you know in practice, I'm sure every day for minutes. And I mean, it would have been nice to see that match up and to see those two guys go at it and kind of match skills. I think that's where Denver has an advantage in that Portland's front court rotation is going to have a hard time dealing with Jokic. Um, no offense to Myers Leonard and Zach Collins, but they're going to have to carry a lot of that load off the bench. If, you know, Enos Kanter is slowed down at all the way he is with that shoulder injury. And he's not a great defender anyway. So Jokic was probably going to have a field day against him regardless, but that, you know, that to me is the one advantage and depth. I, I, I think Denver's team, however inexperienced they might be, their talent is better top to bottom. And I think Paul Millsap is going to be huge in this series. I thought he did a lot of really good things, subtle things that got overlooked in the Spurs series. He had some key rebounds in game seven, some, some really good defensive plays. Uh, didn't score like you maybe would want to. Didn't have the, the offensive performance that you maybe want but certainly did a bunch of other things that were, you know, crucial. And and that's what Denver has to meet you as a team that has to get the right kind of contributions from all these different players. Like Gary Harris is going to have to be really good defensively against Portland because of the pressure Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum can put on you. This, you know, this is a time when, and I think the playoffs highlights this better than anything, just how good an all-around player you have to be sometimes to be effective 
at this stage of a season. Yeah, I mean, uh, if actually, if you look at the uh, regular season matchups, Harris matched up. Harris defended Lillard, so the right. the, the Nuggets sort of cross matched. Where Harris defended Lillard and and uh, Murray defended McCollum, whereas the the Blazers kept it straight with Lillard defending Murray. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's all it's mostly about how you defend the pick and roll. So the the, the indiv- individual defender on one guy isn't as important. Back to like the Cantor Jokic matchup, you know, I think a lot of it is how do you defend Jokic when he has the ball on the perimeter? Do you want to take away his space, take away his ability, you know, his his passing angles, or do you want to play him soft? And like Cantor, I, I think as we saw in Oklahoma City, is okay if you just say, hey, stay by the rim and just protect it as well as you can where he runs into trouble is when he's got to defend in space and out on the perimeter a little bit more. So that'll be interesting to see as, as far as how far Denver makes him travel from the basket, uh, defensively. Yeah. yeah it's it's going to be interesting. Um, did you think that the adjustments made by the nuggets in that Spurs series showed up from game to game? Did, like, did you notice maybe some of the changes or was it, I mean the Tory the uh, Tory Craig. I thought the Tory Craig was huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's uh, he had not only had a, a good. He's not only a better defender than Will Barton, but he shot really well. Like he yeah. I, he was the best catch and shoot three point shooter in the first round. Like really, like shot fifty or I think fifty percent on catch and shoot threes or something like that, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a guy that a a defense would choose would rather would prefer to ignore, you know, on the perimeter, if he makes shots, that that can change a series really. So if he continues to do that against Portland, that's, that's obviously huge. Uh, he's, he's a, a critical player offensively so that he can stay on the floor defensively. Uh, if that makes any sense. No, I agree. I, I just, I was curious. I was looking at all these series in the first round. And then obviously as we have gotten into the conference my final, I'm just trying to see if the adjustments you make, with, you know, basically a day between games now. Does it show up? Does it allow you to scheme your way into a different space with the adjustments you make? That'll be something to me that's interesting to watch in each and every one of these series, just to see what kind of reactions a team has to whatever goes on in one game and how that plays out in the following game and so on and so on. So it's going to be a chess match for these teams on very short notice. I mean, you know, it's not like you're getting a on the day you have off, you're going to spend an hour practicing, you know, and going over whatever adjustments. It's going to have to be something that's done relatively quickly and on the fly for for it to be effective. And that's not easy for everybody. Some teams are better at that than others. Some players are better at that quick adjustment than others. We'll see exactly how it plays out in all these series. But I'll, I'll point out against you that we have the top four seeds. On both sides. Yeah, no upsets this year. So, there, yeah. That breaks so the I string expect- of what I say was 12, I think it was 12 straight years where yeah. a lower seed won or a team yes. without home court advantage won a, ser- a first-round series. So Yeah, so I'm expecting very difficult high-level basketball to be played over the course of the next couple of weeks as we get through what, uh, as I mentioned, were some anticipated matchups in the conference semifinals. We're getting our money's worth. We're getting exactly what we asked for, you know, from the Eastern and Western conferences. I know you got a game tonight. I have one as well. So with that in mind, we'll get out of here and make sure everybody come back and join us later this week with another episode. And you can follow all of our coverage on the NBA playoffs on NBA TV and NBA.com. Be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're here all season long and 
all year long. Don't forget to leave a review for John Schumann in Toronto for game two tonight. This is Seku Smith. I'm in Denver for game one of Blazers Nuggets. We'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.